0: Omagyana jana jana shalakaya chakshulamitam Jaina Tasmai Shri Guru Venamaha. I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Sri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jaina Butlis Wayam Rupaka Dhammayam Tadati Swapadandikam. When will Sri rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has Established within this material world, the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord chaitanya give me shelter under his lotus feet. It doesn't have the right verse on it. 21. That's tomorrow's verse. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord, They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Prabhu Nityananda, Sri Advaita Gadadhar, Sri Vasadhi Gaurabhaktivrinda. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Sri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit, Sri Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama, Rama Hare Hare. I pray that Sri Radhika Lachanji, Sri La Sri La use me as an instrument so that their message can flow through me to give me the words to serve the Vaishnavas listening. Today is Tuesday, August 24th, 2021. I'm Jay Shri Radha Devi Dasi, and we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam Canto One Creation, Chapter 9, The Passing Away of Dev in the Presence of Lord Krishna, Text 21. Sarvatmana samadrisho vayashana hankrite tatkritam mativasyamyam nirav Vadyasha Nakwachit Sarva Atmana, of one who is present in everyone's heart. Samadrisha, of one who is equally kind to one and all. He, certainly, Advayasha of the absolute anahankrite free from all material identity of false ego satkritam everything done by him mati consciousness vaiśyamyam differentiation niravādyaśya freed from all attachment, na, never, Never. quachit, at any stage. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Being the absolute personality of Godhead, He is present in everyone's heart. He is equally kind to everyone and He is free from the false ego of differentiation. Therefore, whatever he does is free from material inebriety. He is equal balanced. Purport. Because he is absolute, there is nothing different from him. He is Kaivalya. There is nothing except himself. Everything and everyone is the manifestation of his energy. Thus, he is present everywhere by his energy, being non-different from it. The sun is identified with every inch of the sun rays and every molecular particle of the rays. Similarly, the Lord is distributed by his different energies. He is Paramatma, or the Supersoul, present in everyone as the supreme guidance, and therefore he is already the chariot driver and counsel of all living beings. When he, <clears throat> therefore, exhibits himself as chariot driver of Arjuna, there is no change in his exalted position. It is the power of devotional service only that demonstrates him as the chariot driver or the messenger. Since he has nothing to do with the material conception of life because he is absolute spiritual identity, there is for him no superior or inferior action. Being the absolute personality of Godhead, he has no false ego, and so he does not identify himself with anything different from him. The material conception of ego is equal balanced in him. He does not feel, therefore, inferior by becoming the chariot driver of his pure devotee. It is the glory of the pure devotee that only he can bring about service from the affectionate Lord. So today we're discussing that Krishna is equal to all and he's the super soul within our heart as a chariot driver and we'll discuss service. So this is a really beautiful verse because it just it's a really nice meditation of how we can think of God, of how we can think of Krishna. It's Bhishma Dev that's speaking currently, and these are his final words before he leaves his body. So they're very powerful words that he's speaking. He's really coming up with deep realizations at the end of his life. You know, he was given the power that he could leave his body he could die at any time that he wanted and he kept himself alive even after all the injuries and damage to his body after the war of the big war etc because he was just waiting for Krishna to arrive so that he could pass he could leave his body in the presence of Krishna and once he arrives Krishna arrives he's singing these beautiful prayers, glorifying God, glorifying Krishna. He's saying that he's kind to everyone. He's present in everyone's heart. This is confirmed in Bhagavad Gita 929, where Krishna says, I envy no one, nor am I partial to anyone. I am equal to all. But whoever renders service unto me in devotion is a friend, is in me, and I am also a friend to him. So, Krishna even reiterates this point in the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita was spoken to Arjuna prior to the war of Kurukshetra, and now we're seeing what happens afterwards. And these same prayers are being said over and over again because they're very important concepts for us to learn. Although we may not initially realize or understand these things, but we understand these are the goals of things that we want to understand. So... We read about these things so that we can understand, we can know that, okay, right now I know that I'm very much attached to my desires, my my family, my, you know, material attachments, whatever they may be. But my goal is that I'm freed from all these attachments and I realize that Krishna is my eternal friend and he's equal to everyone. And he's present everywhere. So Krishna says in 721, I am in everyone's heart as the super soul. And he reiterates the state in 8.4 where he says, And I, the Supreme Lord, represented as the super soul in the heart of every embodied being. So again and again we see this concept Krishna saying that I'm the super soul and I'm in everybody. You know, he's, nothing is different from him. And that's one of the things that we're learning to realize is that we're not this body that we are a soul that we are our soul is part and parcel parcel of Krishna. And so we have all these same qualities that Krishna has just in smaller amounts. So we have the same capacity to be equal to everyone that Krishna has. We have the same capacity to see that there is no superior or inferior action, just as Krishna does. So, our job, our goal really is that we're trying to discover this capacity of ours. We're trying to uncover it from all the uh, coverings, the material attachments, all the material desires of lifetimes after lifetimes of our, um, of everything that we've been to, of our conditioning. So, We can see that over and over again that we have this concept. This is the first point that we want to learn that we're not this body. And once we grasp that concept, all of the other concepts of the Bhagavad Gita just fall into place. Once we realize we're not this body, then what is, you know, what is the harm of doing some service which may seem menial or beneath us on some level? Because we're not this body. We're super soul. We are. and parcel of krishna we're eternal beings of bliss and knowledge and our one of our constitutional positions in nature is to serve so we're very service oriented we hear that we either serve krishna or we serve maya our material attachments but we have to serve something we either serve our senses or we can use our senses to serve krishna Another point that, that Prabhupada makes here is that he has nothing to do with the material conception of life. He is the absolute spiritual identity. And Krishna also reiterates this state in Bhagavad Gita 7.12. He says, Knowing that all states of being, be, of they, be they of goodness, passion, or ignorance, are manifested by my energy. I am in one sense everything, but I am independent I am not under the modes of material nature, for they, on the contrary, are within me. And he goes on to say in 7.13, Deluded by the three modes, the whole world does not know me, who am above the modes of and inexhaustible. These modes of goodness, passion, and ignorance, they're everywhere. Um, they pervade all of us. And so we all have qualities of goodness, passion, and ignorance. And then sometimes our ignorance is more... Um, prominent, and other times our goodness is more prominent, and other times our passion is more prominent. But all of them are there. And specifically in this verse, Prabhupada mention, mentions that Krishna is the chariot driver. So he's talking about actions, like the performances that we do. Who's the performer? So if we're performing in the mood of good, mode of goodness, the mode of goodness, according to eighteen twenty six, is free from all material attachments and false ego. So when we are performing activities, they're free from attachments and false ego. We are enthusiastic and resolute and indifferent to success or failure. So this is doing our duty and not being attached to the results. That is when we're in the mode of goodness. And we can do that when we realize that we're not this body. In the mode of passion, people are attached to the fruits of their labor they passionately want to enjoy them, and they're greedy, envious, and impure. They're moved by happiness and distress. So they're, people in the mode of passion are very much at the whims of material happenings. Like, is it, is it good? Is it bad? Is there happiness? Is it distress? So they're not equibalanced in all of these things. They're very much influenced by them and how they feel and how they act are very much determined by all these external factors. In the mode of ignorance in eighteen twenty eight, it says always engage in work against the injunction of the scripture, they're materialistic, obstinate, cheating, and expert in insulting others, lazy, always morose, and procrastinating. So these are the mode; these are the qualities of someone who's performing actions in the mode of of goodness, in the mode of ignorance. And so we can see that all of these things, you know, well, I don't actively work against the injection of the scripture, but I have some qualities that are materialistic. Um, I have some qualities that are obstinate. You know, I have some qualities that are lazy, procrastinating. And I also have you know, attachment to the fruits of my labor. Um, But I'm working on becoming less attached and less involved with my false ego and more in touch with my true ego, my true self. And learning to become more indifferent to success and failure. So this is like a journey, right? Um, So I can see where... There are some qualities of the of ignorance that I have, and there are some qualities of the passion that I have, and I can see where I'm working to pick up the qualities of goodness. And then we have actions and mode of goodness are in, in accordance with duty. They're performed without attachment, without love or hate, and renounce the fruit of result. So it's basically saying the same thing. So not only as the performer do I have these qualities, but the actions themselves have these qualities. So they're not filled with love or hate. They're just neutral. And if anything, we want to try to fill them as much as possible with love and compassion. Um, but it's not really that, like it's not uh, make or break if it doesn't have it. If it's neutral, it's just as good. And in passion, it's performed with great effort, seeking to gratify our own desires and enacted from a false sense of ego. So it's like, I did this. And this is where, like, if you were to be the chariot driver or the street sweeper, then you would feel like, oh, look at this menial job that I'm doing, without seeing that somebody has to do it and what a glorious position it can be for whoever does it. Um, And then other people, you know, they could say, oh, well, I'm... CEO of a great company, so therefore I'm above that street sweeper. So they have that false ego as well, and they think that sweeping the street is beneath them. And, you know, we can see this tendency, like we tend to think certain services maybe beneath us, or, um, you know, we're not, it's not the best use of our time. So there is that, but we also want to make sure that we are using our own skills and qualities in the best possible way for Krishna. So, you know, cleaning is not my forte. Like, sometimes, I you know, it takes a couple of weeks for me to clean my house because I do small pieces at a time. And um, so it's just not my strong suit. But there are other things that are my strong suit that I pay more energy and attention to because... I know that I can um, lead by example and teach others about Krishna by using those strong points. But that doesn't necessarily mean that just because cleaning is not my strong suit, it's beneath me. It's that sometimes I have to do it in a proportionate amount. And we can learn so many times just from from example and personal experience. I remember when I first started coming to the temple on my own, Um, because, you know, as as many people know, that I was raised in Krishna consciousness, but there's a moment that you choose to become Krishna conscious. And so I decided that I was going to come to the temple on my own, and I was like a teenager. And I remember these pots needed to be washed, and I was just like, oh, that's like the least favorite thing I like to do is wash dishes. And so... I was washing, and I felt like the pots never ended. Like, when I think it would be done, more came. And I was just, like, washing these pots. And I felt like, slowly over time, I felt like that I was washing my heart and not just the pots. Because initially, I was grumpy about it. But as I started to wash more, I just got into, like, the meditation of washing the dishes. And so I tried to carry that with me every time I washed the dishes. And be a little bit mindful. And remember that Krishna is the taste of water. That he is water. He's the flow. He's, you know, so if we can remember Krishna and even these menial tasks, then they're not so menial anymore. And we can really stay attached at every moment. So doing the dishes is no longer beneath me. right? Yes, I can hire someone to do it, but I can also do it myself. And it's just a matter of what's, is the better use of Krishna's time and money. Because, you know, there might be times where it's a better use of my time and money to pay someone else to do the dishes for me. Um, And that way I can focus more on my teaching and education activities. And there are times where I'm not doing so much of the teaching and educating, so I might as well use my time and wash the dishes or clean the house. So it's a matter of understanding exactly what's the right balance there. You know, I've heard it said um, in one of my gurus' lectures, Tamal Krishna Goswami, he said that somebody had asked him this question, how do you know if something is your duty if you're not good at it, but you're good at something else and you're told that's not your duty? And his answer was more about what is going to get you to the level of surrender of Krishna consciousness. So just because you're good at something, so he was saying that, so someone who's very strong and his example that he gave in this class was that if they can crack walnuts and they can crack a hundred walnuts a day, but their vision is not so strong. So they're given the task of doing exercises for their eyes so they can build up their strength in their eyes and their muscles in their eyes and improve their vision but they may be really strong to crack walnuts, whereas someone else whose vision is really strong, but they're not so strong in their hands, may be given the task to crack walnuts. And it may seem like, you know, you're doing someone else's job or someone else's duty, right? So it comes back to the verse, it's better to do someone else's duty poorly than to do... or it's better to do your own duty poorly than it is to do someone else's well. And that's where that... Um, that balance comes in. So we have to see, like, what is actually going to cause you to surrender more? And, you know, this is something that you can discuss if you have, you know, a living spiritual master or you have uh, other highly advanced um, devotees that you take guidance from. You can also, you know, I find a great way for me is to really meditate on the questions that I have, I come in front of the deities, and they answer it in one way or another. They answer those questions, whether it's um, very interestingly enough, if I have a really like dilemma, something I'm really pondering, is this what I need to be doing? Is this, you know, is this my duty? Is this what I'm doing next? I can play a random lecture by my guru and somehow or another he will address those questions like I just asked them to him. And I think that's just the most amazing thing and that's also Krishna speaking to us um, because for whatever reason that moment or the response that he's giving is the right response that I'm looking for. So we... We have to be, like, and I always say this, we have to be very authentic and honest with ourselves with what is this balance. And we have the super soul within our heart who's leading us, who's guiding us, who's even talking to us, but we just have to stop and listen to him. And the best way we can stop and listen to him is Japa, is to chant really attentive rounds. So... In chanting really attentive rounds, you know, we can have that prayer. What is my service? What is it that I'm meant to do? What is, you know, if somebody's given you a service that you feel like, oh no, I can't do it. How is this my service? You know, how can I better achieve or do this, perform this service? When we chant, the ideal is to just think of Krishna and play the pastimes in our mind. But when we're working towards getting that to that level, we really want to have a conversation with Krishna, you know. So the conversation we're having is really about how we can serve him. You know, if if the conversation that comes into your mind when you're chanting Japa is, you know, Krishna, I, this happened to me and this happened to me. Why did it happen to me? It's okay as long as you're thinking of that conversation as a person in front of you. If you find yourself thinking, oh, this happened yesterday and... Today I'm going to do this. Then it's important to recognize you have these thoughts and to see that, okay, I can think about these things later, but let me focus on my relationship to Krishna. And it's similar to if you're having lunch with someone. So if, if, you're, having, if you're sitting in front of someone and you're having lunch with them and you're just like, yesterday this happened and that happened, and you're not including them in the conversation, how are they going to feel how would you feel if someone was doing that to you? They're just going on and on. I have this to do and I have this. And you're like, do you even want to sit here and have lunch with me? You have all these other things that you need to do. Um, or, you know, I'm guilty of this one, you know, picking up your phone, getting on Facebook. If I'm in the mull of conversation with someone and they pick up their phone and start scrolling, I'm just like, was I not interesting enough? was, you know, was, was I not engaging enough or okay? You know, you have other things to do. You're not here with me. So Krishna can feel a little bit of that same way, but he's so patient and kind that he still will come every time we chant Japa. Because he's very patient with us to say, okay, maybe this time you'll give me the full attention. And so we really have to understand that that is our sacred time with Krishna. And... You know, when I was working um, full-time, it was hard to get my rounds done, especially when I dress the deities in the morning. I mentioned last week um, that I, do, I don't get my rounds done in the morning when I dress the deities in the morning because I would have to go straight to work right after. Um, but I do get them done, you know, even if it's right before midnight, the rounds get done. Sometimes um, I would, you know... Not the best, and I don't recommend it, and I really, really try hard not to get into that habit of chanting while you're driving. Especially as rounds count, as chanting japa, counted as towards your rounds. Like if you're chanting while you're driving, that's great. As extra, like you're just chanting, right? So put on a kirtan and sing, or chanting in the um, mantra meditation way where you're just, not really singing it, but you're just chanting it to yourself, that's great. And if that can be extra, like you're not chanting on beads or a clicker or anything like that, you're just chanting, that's fine. But if you're counting it towards your rounds, really work on trying to get out of that habit. So what I would do when I was working, and I I didn't dress the deities that day, I would try to at least get four rounds done before I left for work. And... If I needed to chant on you know it was a 20 thirty minute drive to work and thirty to 20 thirty minute drive back, um, and sometimes I knew I would need to kind of chant those rounds while driving because I wouldn't come home until ten o'clock at night. Um, so then I knew that like it's going to be too tiring to wait. So I kind of would try you know then I would try to get up a little earlier and chant eight rounds before I come home, or before I leave for work. So, it's a matter of looking at what your schedule is, what you can realistically fit in, you know, and then I would try to chant a couple of rounds during lunch, a couple of rounds here and there. So, by the time I got home, I tried to leave no more than four rounds left by the end of the day. Um, I, you know, there are days where I was able to get up early enough to chant all 16 rounds before I left for work. And when I did that, oh my god, my day was amazing. Um, You know, I talked about last week how when I dressed the deities in the morning, my day would be amazing. But if I hit 16 rounds before I went to work, my day was like even more amazing than even dressing the deities. Because it was that sacred time of chanting with Krishna, spending that time with Krishna, of shielding myself from everything that was going to happen for the day with that internal joy and happiness, that nature that we are bliss and full of knowledge that I could carry with me all day long. So japa is our most important activity. And nobody is too good to chant japa, And it's not inferior or superior. It's superior for all of us, but it's not inferior for any of us. And so we want to make sure that we're chanting Japa so that we can really honor our relationship with Krishna and and connect with him you know that's our time to connect with him so you know there have been times in my life where I've been far away from the temple or I just didn't have the time to come when I was in medical school I didn't have the time to come to the temple all the time so chanting Japa was my only association and when you start to see your japa as your only association, you really relish it that much more. Uh, so that's what I would recommend is just focus on chanting. You know, pick a number of rounds. I remember the other thing I would do is like, I start off with like one round, phone in the other room, no distractions, at least one round. Try that. And then, I you know, increase it to two rounds, then four rounds, then, you know, 16 rounds, 32 rounds, however many rounds that you've made the commitment to chant. So just start small. Even if you, like I've been chanting for 26 years now, 16 rounds. Um, So I'm still nowhere near perfection on that, right? I still feel like I'm very neophyte when it comes to chanting. But I can say probably in the last 10, no, probably the last 13 14 years I've really been focusing on chanting quality rounds. I would say the first, you know, 10 to 12 years were really just about quantity, like getting that number done, 16 rounds, you know, getting 16 rounds during college during medical school, during residency, you know, when I was establishing my practice, getting 16 rounds done was like I got the number. So You know, I would say about 13, 14 years ago, I really started focusing on switching from quantity to quality. And what I can say from my personal experience, if you're just starting chanting, focus on that quality. Because when you chant to get the quantity done, you establish bad habits that are really hard to break. So if you can start with the good habits, it's much easier than trying to break the bad habit and establish good habits. And what I found also is that when you have a bad habit and you're trying to break it, you can. I can go like three, four months practicing the good habit. It only takes a couple of days or one day to throw me off course and that bad habit just automatically comes back in because it's so ingrained in me. So, you know, I, I did and I had talked to my guru about the quantity versus quality. And he said right now, you know, during the studies and all that stuff, it was really important to just focus on the quantity and, you know, later on focus on the quality. And I would say that's if that's your circumstance, that's your circumstance. But if it's not or if you can focus on the quality, really focus on that quality, really focus on... Chanting with that intention that I'm having a conversation with God. Think about that. Like who how else can you have a conversation with God so deep and intimate and close and fun? Because Krishna is a friend to all of us. That's what he says, I am a friend to all. He's equal to all of us. And just like you know, a parent is going to be loving to all of their children, but the child that reciprocates more with that parent they're going to show just a little bit more attention to because they're getting the attention from them so if i have two brothers and a sister and you know when you're growing up in a household with a few you know that's not a lot but it's not a little either you tend to fight for the attention right so the person that you know really kind of sticks out they're going to get the more most attention from the parents that doesn't mean that you know, my mom and dad loved my brothers or sisters more than me. It's just meant that they sought out more attention than I did. And they got more attention. They got more time. Um until so I was like, no, I want more time too. So then you start, you know, you start pushing for that. And that's how it is with Krishna. And Krishna's infinite. You know, my parents are finite. They have only a certain amount of time. They only have a certain amount of energy. But Krishna is inexhaustible. I read that here. This is Propad says, says um, anyway, he described him as inexhaustible. That, you know, there is no limit to Krishna's resources. He has an infinite capacity for love. He has an infinite capacity of energy, of time, of devotion, and all he's waiting for us all he's waiting for is for us to just turn to him and give him that attention, and he's ready to shower it on us. And he's patient, patiently waiting for us. So I will end there. What questions do you have? Thank you. So the comment is that um, he really appreciated the two points uh, Two points that I made. One was that, you know, Krishna is non-envious and a friend to all. And as part and parcel of Krishna, we have those same qualities, um, potential for those qualities in us. And that the other comment uh, was that um, when we chant Japa, it, we have to imagine that Krishna is sitting in front of us just like a friend that we're taking lunch with. Thank you. So one thing I'll say is that I retired from the practice of medicine a couple of years ago. Um, and I'm doing more holistic, like, I, I would say I retired from the practice of medicine in the Western healthcare system. And I focus on what's called lifestyle medicine. So it's more of like a coaching, like getting people to change their habits. Um, to eat healthier, to exercise, to sleep better, to um, manage your stress, which includes meditation, to build a sense of community and love and have purpose and meaning. Um, but from when, you know, this pandemic, it's a very unique situation for our time in that it really has brought to the forefront Everybody, like everybody's kind of experiencing the same level of trauma or they're going through some sort of trauma, some sort of anxiety, some sort of effect from this pandemic. But, you know, realistically speaking, we are always suffering. We're always going through something, some challenges. And I feel like this pandemic has really like ramped that up, you know, tenfold. So if you were already having some challenges, it's even more challenging. Um, but prior to the pandemic, when I would counsel my patients, it really just depends on what they are needing at that moment. And, you know, what I've learned to do is um, just take a moment and before answering questions or addressing them, you know, just taking a moment, breathing and and I found over and over again when I did that, like I just kind of surrendered in my mind, like, okay, Krishna, how can I help this person? The words just came. And sometimes I couldn't even tell you what words came out of my mouth, but I can see the reaction of the other person that it hit home, like this is what they needed to hear. Um, there have been times where, you know, I've had patients that were in severe anxiety, and I said, okay, let's just pray for a moment, you know. Um, I would... I've even, on a very couple of occasions, I don't do it very often, I would, um, even bring out the Maha Mantra and have them chant with me, you know, and they would find some calm or, you know, relief from that. Um, I also have, uh, I used, to, I don't know where, I, what I did with it. I had a printout of different mantras for different religions. So that, and they're all glorifying God. So it was just a matter of like what spoke to the person. They could choose which mantra that they wanted to chant, and we would chant that. Um, and I don't, there was, you know, there was even Christian ones and Jewish ones. It was just something I had picked up from one of the courses that I had taken on spiritual and spirituality and health. Um, so that was that would be one of the things. So it's more it's easier to if like if someone has a specific question right and how to address that one of the things that i want to be careful of not doing is minimizing what they're feeling and just say oh well it's you know it's god's hand everything happens for a reason um you know things like that unless people are ready to hear that it's not a pleasant thing to hear yes yeah, take it from there and see what is the right thing to say. You know, sometimes all it is is a matter of acknowledging their feelings and saying, "Yeah, I understand what you're going through. You're, you're going through this. This is a tough situation. You know, what do you need from me? How do you want me to support you? You know. Um, so those are some kinds of things. I mean, I think, you know, when we talk to friends, we we can have the same level of support and encouragement, um, understanding that even though we're all, even if our friends are in Krishna consciousness and chanting Japa, that we're all on our own unique spiritual path. And, you know, um, I was having this conversation one time about the phrase, it is what it is. right? And sometimes that's a phrase that we use when it's like, I can't change anything. Like, it is what it is. It's, and sometimes it's a phrase we use when we just want to give up. Like, we... We may be able to change it, but I don't want to make that effort. So it is what it is. And it's really important to know what's different. But if someone's in that place where they just feel like, I want something to be different, and you tell them it is what it is, it can be very annoying. It could minimize what they're feeling. Um, And that's the same, you know, the phrase, uh, everything happens for a reason can be very traumatic as well. Because you're like... What's the reason, you know? What's the reason for thousands of people dying from COVID, you know? What's the reasons for us being in this lockdown for a year and a half plus now, you know? So sometimes we don't get to know the reason. We don't get to see the reason. Um, We just have to have faith and understanding that Krishna has a reason, has a plan, And when we come to a place where we're just like, okay, well, I don't know why that's happening, but it doesn't really matter on some scale why it's happening because it's beyond my control. So then we focus on the things that I can control. What can I control? You know, we learned during this pandemic that the people, initially the people that were really affected were the ones that had diabetes, obesity, You know, so what can you control in that? You know, eating healthier, exercising, managing the stress. Things like that can help control or keep diabetes and high blood pressure and things like that under control. Even the weight can be under control by using techniques like that, habits like that. So we focus on what we can control. And even with that, all we can control is our actions. We have no control of the results. And that's, again, one of the big lessons of the Bhagavad Gita is to do your duty without attachments. So then you're coming to help people understand that it's just a matter of what can you control and what can you not, like, and focusing on that and not worrying about what you can't control and working around it, like understanding, like, I can't control the weather, but I can check the weather to see if I'm going to need an umbrella or, you know... Am I going to need to wear a sweater or a shirt, a t-shirt today? Right? So I don't just go, well, I'm wearing a sweater is under my control and I put on a sweater and it's 105 degrees outside and then complaining that it's hot, you know. So it's, it's understanding where people are and what you can, what of this philosophy can be told, you know, said to them. And sometimes it is just a matter of listening. And... Being a reflective listener, empathetic listener. And then maybe sharing some prasadam. You know. so, I hope that answered your question. Sarantara Shumad Ki.